there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tarvalon. Have a cup of tea, or maybe a frothy ale. The light, why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. Uno dismounted to examine ground churned by hooves. He poked at some horse droppings and grunted, bloody well moving fast, my lord. He had a voice that sounded as if he were shouting when he was just speaking. We've not made up an hour on them. Burn me, we may have lost a flaming hour. They'll kill their bloody horses the way they're going. He fingered a hoofed track. A hoofed track? No horse that, bloody Trolloc. Some flaming goat feet over there. Uno, Chapter 10, The Great Hunt. Hello and welcome back. I'm here with my friend Tracy. I'm here with my friend Amber. And this is The Road to Tarvalin, a Wheel of Time podcast. And (laughs) 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 we are back with The Great Hunt, Chapters 9 through 12. And these chapters feel so refreshing because not to talk badly about our Emmons Field characters, right. but these new chapters are adding some really rich contrast to them. And I likened it to being sick and only eating bland food for a week and then following it up with something spicy or savory like mm-hmm. tacos or <laughs> Indian food. Mm-hmm. Just I felt like I was starving there for a little bit mm-hmm. in the eye of the world. Yeah. And now we've got Pot on Fane, we've got his point of view, even mm-hmm. Bale Doman, mm-hmm. some secret surprise characters showing up in some of Tracy's chapters. Mm-hmm. So, and there is a lot of nuance in these chapters that I think I don't know. It's like sitting down to a good meal with a friend and enjoying it and absorbing it, if you will. Yeah. Digesting it. Yes. Hold on one second. (laughs) So we start off in chapter nine, leave takings, and we are in the courtyard of Faldara. We have all of the Shinarans saddled up, getting ready to go. We still have some problems between Rand, Matt, and Perrin. Rand is really trying to apologize to them. They don't want to have anything to do with it. Loyal points out Rand's fancy clothes to Rand's complete mortification. He's like, God, not again. Right, right. No, they're going to hate me even more. Yeah. We have another lesson with Lan. Lessons with Lan. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> he tells Rand about how to sheath the sword. And Rand is like, you're crazy. I'll never need to know how to do that. All right, wild man. So... <laughs> The Amarlin shows up and she is about to give a speech. Rand feels like all the eyes are on him. Mm-hmm. As he's thinking this, he whips his horse around. And as he turns, an arrow whizzes in front of his face, nicks the Amarlin on her arm and kills the man behind her. Mm-hmm. Lord Agomar is very distraught. He has prostrated himself in front of the Amarlin, begging forgiveness, full of shame. And she's like, rise. It's fine. We're cool. (laughs) Chill, man. Chill. The party leaves and we find out that the men guarding Pot on Fane 
Chegu and Naito are gone. Mm-hmm. Hiran is introduced into the story. He can smell violence. He is a sniffer. I love Hiran. He's so endearing, like just so simple and sweet. And he has, I think, one of the most awesome weapons in the Wheel of Time. My favorite weapon. Is it his sword breaker? So, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Which I think those are funny because in real life, they're just pretty to look at. They're not really usable. So I've never looked one up. I only have really? like Yeah, I only have like a mental image of what it looks like based off of how it's described in the books. Now I feel like I need They're to look. awesome. Are they? They're so cool looking. Okay, yeah. I will look that up. Very cool. I do love Rand's reaction to Huron where he's like, you can smell violence. Hey, it's the wheel of time. I love People can it. do cool stuff. I love it. So anyways, we switch over to Bale Doman, and this is so great. He's in Ilion. The hunt of the horn for Valir has been called. Mm-hmm. So he is begrudgingly, like, barreling down a side street in Ilion. He is not feeling celebratory at all. <laughs> so it's the feast of Tevin, which coincides with the Horn of Valir, the hunt of the horn. Right. So people are drunk. People are in costume. They're singing. They're, they're staggering barely wearing up and costumes. down the streets. Yeah, I love, I love his prim observation of that. Because it seems to be a thing in like all of the festivals and stuff that we see throughout the Wheel of Time is people like to get naked. And some people are like, oh, my heavens. <laughs> and other people are like, no, no, no. Here are my breasts. Check it out. You know? Mm, I don't know. The, that one feast outside of Kyrian. That's the only one that comes to mind where... Well, and then there's the festival. They don't get naked, though, do no. they? Just they just like, like kind of like like the women like to let their tops down, and then and then there's the one in Ibu Dar where it's like the feather thing, and it's like just barely mm-hmm. covering everything. So I mean, I like it. I love this idea of like very scantily clad individuals, like just happily running around and celebrating life and their bodies and everything. But it does seem to kind of. I be always a trend. just interpret it, interpreted it as most of our main characters being kind of prudish. Yes. So yes. they're like shocked, yes. but it's really like not that big of a yeah. deal because it's like, totally normal for everybody else that's involved in it. They don't care. They're having a good time, and I like it. Okay, so he is walking down a side street and he is on the Bridge of Flowers. And once again, we have this really nice, like, I can smell it. I can see it. I can feel it. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever been seaside. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about like clean Mediterranean Mm -mm. beach. I'm talking about a harbor where... There's maybe like dirtier water mm-hmm. and exhaust from boats. Yeah. And he remarks on smelling the pitch and the hemp and the chamber pots. Gross. And I really feel <laughs> like I can see this place. I can feel it. Mm-hmm. I can smell it. It has a scent memory. I feel like it's it's psychological. It's why Disney perfumes their rides. If you go on Pirates of the Caribbean, you can smell what salt. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. If you're on Main Street USA, they pump 
It's like a like a vanilla waffle cone scent through the air. And then if you're on any of the water rides, it's this aquatic saline kind of salty smell. And they do this for different rides. That's wild. Yeah. It's so yeah. smart though. At the same time, like your olfactory sense is like really powerful. Wow. To me, I can so easily picture Bale Doman walking down this bridge. Yeah. And it's it's so pretty and I love it. I love the attention to detail. I agree. So he's on this bridge called the Bridge of Flowers, which he thinks is ironic because it does not <laughs> smell like flowers. <laughs> he heads to his inn called Easing the Badger, and it's run by a woman, Nida, and her nephew, Billy. Mm-hmm. And again, we get a great description of this inn. She keeps a tight ship. It's not crazy in there. It's nice, kind of quiet, considering all the hoopla that's mm-hmm, going on mm-hmm. around them. And then the description of Billy is great. He's just this massive bulldog of a man. And Bale Doman thinks that he could throw any dock worker out with one arm. Mm-hmm. So as he's hanging out in the inn, he is approached by three men in finery. And Billy kind of looks up to check out the situation and Bale Doman kind of like nods like it's okay we're okay here so these men in their fancy Kyrianan outfits offer to pay him way way too much money for transporting a person from Mayan to Ilian Mm -hmm. and they give him a sealed parchment I believe he said that altogether I think it was like 4,000 and he said he would rarely make 1,000 in two years mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. So it's about eight years worth of money, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. So he gets this parchment. He agrees. The men leave. And then his second of his ship, Yaren, shows up. Mm-hmm. And Yaren tells him that men have broken onto a ship and killed one of his men. This is the third time in 10 days one of his men have been killed. Mm-hmm. Yaren also says that his room was ransacked at his inn. Mm-hmm. So they both leave to go to the ship fast. Mm-hmm. Once they get to the ship, Bail Doman does not even wait for all of his crew to get back on board. He's mm-hmm. like, we're out of here. Yeah. He goes straight to his quarters. The boat's rocking. He wastes no time. He lights fire under his knife, peels back the seal on the parchment, and he sees a signed paper from the king of Kyrian and Galdrian. Now, he does think that this is a forgery, but a very good forgery. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the sealed letter says that the man bearing this letter is a dark friend. He should be hanged immediately and all of his possessions taken over that they will come pick up his possessions, and then they will leave the rest of whatever they don't want to the people that deal with him. So Bill Doman is like, we're out of here. He sets sail, and as he is fondly kind of like looking through his things, he's examining them. And he has a legitimate treasure trove on his ship. He has a light stick from the Age of Legends, an ivory carving of a swordman, the skull of a saber-toothed cat, and a half black and white disc made of heartstone, a.k.a. Queen DR. Doman stares at it for a little bit, 
then he's like, we're heading west to Toman Head. Toman Head again. Hell of a chapter. Hell of a chapter. Agreed. One of the things that stuck out to me in this particular section with Di- I'm sorry, with Bill Doman is his why. Why is he being chased by Trollocs? Why are these men trying to get him to basically hand himself over to people who will immediately hang him? What in the world does the king of Kyrian, what does the king of Kyrian have to do and have an interest in? I think he knows. Do you think he knows? I think he knows. Yeah. Well, this is this is why he starts examining all of his things. Mm-hmm. His crew, their rooms are being ransacked. Mm-hmm. Somebody is looking for something. Mm-hmm. And in this parchment, it says, like, we want his stuff. Yeah, so he's it. looking through his things, like, what here would cause mm-hmm. this problem? Yeah. He's been being chased since the eye of the world. And mm-hmm. I think now it's pretty easy to see what it is that he has Mm -hmm. that is wanted maybe by the side of the dark maybe by a king maybe by a rival i think you're right this flat white and black disc that he purchased i think he says like he purchases it in head and merc or something like that and it was shortly after that that he started being chased by trollocs and now that he was like residing in Ilian, not necessarily residing, but like port side. Thank you. I think he is making that connection. I think you're right that he's putting this together, that this particular item in his collection is maybe not the safest mm-hmm. piece to have. And he also has a dugout. Mm-hmm. He's got a secret space yeah. in his quarters where he keeps things and he even thinks about burning the letter and i love that instead of getting rid of it Mm -hmm. he tucks it away in a secret spot Mm -hmm. this is something i would picture maybe like tom marilyn or moraine Mm -hmm. or someone adept in the game of houses doing like this might come in handy later Mm -hmm. so he's concerned for his safety Mm -hmm. but He is probably also just as much curious, angry, confused what this letter could do, Mm -hmm. what he could find out from it. Maybe it's a piece to a puzzle and he already is being set up as a collector. Mm -hmm. So I see him kind of being like, I'll burn it. Wait a minute. I like the way he thinks Mm -hmm. and it's a fun chapter. I loved all of just the the characters, even if we're just getting a little bit with his second, with the innkeeper, just seeing the people on the street, it was like every single part was like, I just wanted to savor it. Yes. I do think that this shows a level of savviness that goes along with the fact that Bale Doman is a smuggler. You know, mm-hmm. this is his Agreed. life is kind of evading other people and Mm-hmm. not getting caught. So, of course, he's going to have men on his crew that also think the same way. Like Yarn says, they sacked my room, they took some gold to make it look like a robbery, but they left, like, my super fancy belt buckle there. So, like, even he knows something is up. Mm-hmm. And so it just, like, it adds to that need to push forward yep. and get the 
out of there. So we have the hunt begins. It needs a little bit of drama. It's going to add that to it. So Inktar and his group of soldiers, Rand, Matt, Perrin, and Loyal Hearn, are all heading out. Inktar sets a swift and somewhat worrisome pace for the horses and soldiers, and there is a palpable determination that exudes from him. And Rand thinks that with Inktar's face set the way it is, that he means to have the horn within the day. So Rand tries to ride with Matt and Perrin, but they keep moving away from him. And of course, this makes poor Rand sad because all he wants to do is apologize to his friends and... Matt's just, like, not having it. So while inspecting tracks along the way, this is the opening quote from Uno. Uno mentions that Ingtar may be riding the horses too hard. Ingtar pushes this concern aside. Uno looks at Rand in an unreadable way, and Rand wonders why the heck he did that. So Ingtar does finally recognize the fact that he's running the horses too hard and so what they start doing i think this is my idea of hell personally um they ride the horses for a mile then get off and run next to the horses for a mile and they get back onto and do this over and over again you had mentioned earlier that rand was like this coat is just ridiculous and he goes to hit the pack animals to see if he can find a coat that's simpler. And Moraine apparently was there and helped to choose his wardrobe because all of the coats are every bit as fancy as the one that he's wearing. And he, like, I love this part because he lets out a yell and the soldiers are all like, what? And it's just Rand being upset about his clothing. Masima has been, like, giving Rand this death glare pretty much since day one and Rand's not quite sure what's going on and when he mentions it to Ingtar, Ingtar replies that Masima thinks Rand is the Nihil and then goes on to say that he wishes he had soldiers that were as hard as the Aiel, half as hard and he says they're death walking with any weapon or none. I think it's pretty silly on Masima's half so Robert Jordan is either kind of messed up a little bit or he's just calling Masima an idiot because <laughs> Rand carries a sword. That's no ideal person would ever be caught dead holding a sword. So Masima is just like, well, you look like one. He's clearly not in line with any Aiel customs at all. True. So either Masima has never actually really met an Aiel person mm-hmm. or he's just prejudice like well, I don't like people with red hair you know and I think that that might be it like Ingtar says he can't get the look of your face out of his mind it, it doesn't matter the clothes that Rand is wearing it doesn't matter that he's carrying a sword or riding a horse none of those things matter to Masima. Rand looks an I, like an Aiel maybe this is Moraine's point get him in finery I guess mm-hmm I think in this case, it kind of goes back to like when we did our wardrobe episode and talked about how clothes can display power and whatnot. Yeah, clearly. But it's just like, yeah, put them in fine clothes, then you'll appear mm -hmm. something else. Yeah. Like that's it's a it's a better disguise than a leather jerkin (laughs) and a pair of glasses. 
<laughs> and certainly much more respectable. So as they're they're going down this path following the dark friends, they come across a dark friend camp and Hearn is mournfully moaning about murder and worse than murder. Matt picks up a bone, wondering what animal it came from, along with the question, what do Trollocs eat? And Ingtar's response sets Matt's stomach off, and he nearly gags, because it's a human bone. Trollocs will eat anything that's meat, and the dark friends were meat. As they were going along the trail, there are these bodies just marking the path i don't really understand the purpose of doing that like i think Fane knows that he's being followed but i don't know why you would do that and then leave the body hidden if you were trying to leave a message it's just maybe he's trying to slow him down oh that's a good point actually no i don't think he is no Later, he remarks, like, he's coming to me now. Now he comes to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Unless it's just another thing to kind of set them off guard, like to unsettle them, just finding these random dead bodies. But the thing, they always have to go hunt and find them. I love this transition in the book. Like, I love transitions like these. And so they came to the River Aranen. And this is an empty village that's right up against the River Aranen. And Uno says that he sees a woman, but the woman disappears and they aren't able to find her. Masima and Roggen cross the river to bring back the ferry because they know that the Trollocs and the Dark Friends went straight through this village and they've left the ferry on the other side of the river. So <laughs> Masima and Roggen get like down to their breaches and go across the river and when they get across the river they also kind of like scout out the other side and then come back and they're like so something bad is over there we don't really want to talk about it you need to go check it out and so everyone like a group of the soldiers not everyone can go at the same time get onto the ferry and parents comment about how this is how they left home, but this time it was going to be worse. And this just kind of like, it hit my heart because parent just feels so sad and determined and kind of crushed right now. And I'm sure that the idea of home and having left home is burdensome at this point and knowing that there's something worse waiting for them cannot possibly feel good. So they get across the river, and this actually is a moment that stuck with me when I first read it, and it still does. And I'm just I'm just going to read it from the book super fast. At first, Rand thought the figures hanging by their arms from the thick gray limbs of the stone oak were scarecrows, crimson scarecrows. Then he recognized the faces, Changu and the other man who had been on guard with him. Nadeo, eyes staring, teeth bared in a rictus of pain. They had lived a long time after it began. So these men have been skinned alive. Yikes. Like, that's all, that's all I can think of. And I mean, really, seriously, Game of Thrones, like with the Boltons and the flayed man and everything, and like the scenes that they had with like people post-flaying, 
was just so unsettling and has like heightened the mental image of what this looks like. And I, gosh, I hope they put this in the TV show. I know that's awful, but I, I want it. I want that darkness and that horror to be a part of it. Rand reaches for the void and Matt vomits. This is a, a repeat thing for poor Matt. I really feel bad for him. Loyal tells Rand about the burial ceremony that the Shyanarns do. And I'm wondering, is this the only burial scene that we see in the books? Because I can't think of any other ones. I think this is simple, and I think that it is sweet. That there are words that are spoken over the people. The light shine on you and the creator shelter you. The last embrace of the mother welcome you home. Ingtar actually says these words over Nideo and Changu, even though it's kind of thought that they must have been dark friends and they must have been the ones who let the Madral and the Trollocs in through the dog gate. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. What? <laughs> That's they okay. There's two options. They were always dark friends, or Fane's influence was so strong he was somehow able to talk them into switching sides. Yeah. So, like, if they weren't dark friends before, they've been corrupted by being around Fane so much. Interesting. Angtar gives a brief overview of what they can expect in their next few days of travel and becomes frustrated with the lack of knowledge Rand displays regarding the history of the lands around them. Rand's defense is he's seen an old map. <laughs> and this seems relatively unimpressive considering how well-educated the Borderlanders seem to be. And I don't know what it is, but like every time we get in the Borderlanders or the Borderlands... I'm just so impressed with like the people who we get introduced to and their education level seems far beyond what we see in Emmons Field and the Two Rivers. So we arrive at another empty village. A search to see if there is anyone remaining begins and Rand walks into one house telling himself that his sense of a trap is just his imagination. And then we have this blink moment. He goes through this repeat scene where it's a family getting ready to eat dinner and they're all happy and smiling and laughing and then the door bursts open and then Rand gets stuck and starts back over at the beginning again. And I want to say that this happens like three or four times. And of course he reaches for the void. He is able to somehow break out of whatever is happening to him. And when he leaves the house, he realizes no one else has had this experience except for himself. And then they find a murdered Murdral. How often has that maybe happened before? Everyone's like, these are Cheyennarans. These are men who fight Trollocs, who fight Murdral, and they are speechless at seeing this Murdral pinned up against a wall like this. And there's like that comment of the boot scrapes on the, the wall showing that the Murdral had lived for a long time past this almost crucifixion. Isn't it supposed to take them a couple of days to die anyways? So I mean, they don't just they don't drop. die easy. They wriggle around yeah. for a while. And flail and whatnot. So it's just, 
this is like a really unsettling moment for everyone there because Huron keeps talking about there are Trollocs and Merdral and Dark Friends and something worse. And now this something worse is capable of murdering a Merdral. But I'm pretty sure that's where that ends and Huron says, or Ingtar is like, and we ride! I don't even know how many times he says that in the chapter, but it's really funny here. He's like, off we go! Chapter 11, Glimmers in the Pattern. We are with Rand. He is in camp. Uno has seen this woman in white at a second village. Ingtar gives Rand a bundle left to him by Moraine. And he is told if anything happens to Ingtar, Rand is then in command. Rand is really upset by this, accusing Moraine of overstepping her authority, saying this is Lord Agomar's call, Mm -hmm. not not hers. Mm -hmm. And Ingtar said, well, actually, Agomar gave the order, so... Well done, Maureen. <laughs> um, so, Rand, what the hell? <laughs> I wrote Rand sings. <laughs> la, la, Rand la, la, slinks la, 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 off la, la, la. to open Sorry. the bundle. It is the dragon banner. Matt and Perrin interrupt this little moment, stunned to see the banner. Rand says Moraine wants him to name himself a false dragon. He will not be a Tarvalin puppet. And now they know he can channel and that the Amarlin is calling him the Dragon Reborn. Mm-hmm. Rand explains he only stuck around to help find the dagger. The group has a moment of kind of coming back together where they're like, oh, okay, we can be friends again. Mm-hmm. They head back to camp and Loyal is an ex- Loyal is examining a stone with a strange marking on it. Mm-hmm. Then we flip to Pod on Fane's point of view. And Fane is kind of just chilling, taking pleasure, thinking about killing this fade that actually used to drive him mm-hmm. like a hound. And he's playing with this ruby-hilted dagger, mm-hmm. Matt's dagger. Yep. He tells the Trollocs to eat the rest of the villagers and leave the remains as a warning for Rand's party. Mm-hmm. He hasn't learned how to open the Horn of Valir yet, and he's having trouble sensing Rand now. But at this moment, he's not worried. He is kind of maniacally laughing and thinking, well, now Rand is the pursuit pursuer and Rand will have to come to me. Mm-hmm. And that's chapter 11. One thing on this observation of Fane's where Rand disappears and then reappears, like he says that this happens multiple times when they were in Faldara Keep. I don't know if this is confirmed or not. Is this when he takes, like when he goes into the void? Like, is that what provides this almost invisibility cloak to Fane's weird ability to sense Rand? I'm not sure. I mean... There's enough ambiguity there that I say, like, yeah, sure, why not? But this is just, again, Wheel of Time. Is it metaphysical wheel stuff? Is it magic? Is it channeling? Like, I just feel like we'll never get a concrete answer. Okay. I was just kind of curious, like, how you saw it. That's all. Okay, so chapter 12, Woven in the Pattern. This is an Aguine point of view, and we are actually jumping back in time to right after the attack on the Amarillan seat's life, or was it? Aguine's shock at hearing of an assassination attempt compared to Swan's nonchalance over the entire situation, I find comical. Swan's got shit to get done, and not even the Lord of Faldara would be able to change her mind. Swan turns her attention to Nynaeve and Aguine, in turn causing all the Aes Sedai present to turn their attention towards them as well. 
Aguin saw as they all looked as if they knew things, things other people did not know, and it was no help at all to know that they truly did. Swan in this moment recognizes the spark that Nynaeve and Aguin have and is then like, and now off we go. So this actually is a decently long trip from Faldara to the village. I believe it's Meadow, Medo, M-E-D-O, however you say that, which actually answered a question for me from earlier because I was trying to figure out like roughly how long it had taken this entire entourage of people to get from Tarvalin to Faldara, and it takes a while. So this trip is not quick. And in the camps at night, Aguin observes that each Aja has their own tent for the two sisters that they have brought, and that the Red Sisters' tent looked oddly lonely without any warders, while the Greens had a festive atmosphere with their four warders. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of—I mean, it just reminds me of New Spring in that moment in the in the Green quarters where, like, the Green Aja is not the Battle Aja; they are the Thirsty Aja, the Party Aja. <laughs> The sorority girl, Aja. Like, there are so many things about it that just makes me giggle. And I mean, at the same time, compared to a lot of the other Ajas, they sure seem like they're having a good time. So I think I would probably want to hang out with the Greens. Going to go hang out with a bunch of warders. This sounds great. <laughs> so during the, these evenings, I think it's the first night of camp, Lan makes another overture towards Nynaeve and she rebuffs him. Varen comes to that to their tent that Aguin and Nynaeve are sharing so she can give Aguin lessons in the power. Varen explains to Nynaeve how lucky she was to survive her first navigations of the power. Only one in four women survive. Aguin shows sharp observation and intu- intuition when she wonders if Varen knows about Rand. At some point during their conversation, Varen makes this look and Aguin catches it and she's like, hmm. And I... I think that that's like a nice little indication of Gween and her character and really what she'll she'll become. I have a slight issue with the statement that the younger the novice, the better they do, the more uh, biteable they are. And like my only thought was don't cults do the same thing, like indoctrinate young because they are. Well, it's not even just cults. I mean, that's why people are baptized young. Yes, <laughs> that was actually exactly what I was thinking was, you know, for for me, I was born into a Lutheran family. I was baptized right away. I went through all the things. Church was not an option. It was just something that we did. And when you don't Mm -hmm. know anything else. I mean, as an adult, you're free to decide Mm -hmm. whatever you want. So I, does it hurt anything? A little water on the forehead? No, that part. No. No, but like instilling in someone a specific doctrine, hierarchy, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. I feel as though the White Tower breaks these girls down and then kind of sort of attempts to build them back up, but still leaves plenty of room to be fractured. But above all, the White Tower is of the most importance, and it's easy to get an 11-year-old to think that, mm-hmm. you know? Much harder for someone like Nynaeve, who was the most powerful 
woman in her village, really. So Varen does point to that in this section where she's teaching Egwene. She's like, Nynaeve, you should be paying attention to this too. And Nynaeve, of course, is like, whatever, I don't need this. But then Varen's like, yeah, but do you want to be an accepted or do you want to be a novice? And Nynaeve decides to stick around. It's not just that. She says that the novices have to scrub floors and stuff and Nynaeve is like yeah no no. okay I'll stick around (laughs) my nails no I'm just kidding I'm sure Nynaeve is not that girl at all (laughs) (laughs) so Varen runs them through the exercises that novices are supposed to go through in order to be able to touch the power and then to be able to channel and while Egwene is being a beautiful red rosebud Nynaeve is like I feel more like a blackthorn bush and yeah you do I love it By the end of the lesson, Nynaeve has set blankets on fire. Varen calmly puts them out and is like, hey, parting words, just be careful because if you draw too much of this, you can either burn yourself out or kill yourself. Good night. And then she leaves. And oh, Varen. So the next things through this is just them receiving lessons like a queen and Nynaeve receive lessons from various Aes Sedai throughout this journey. I think it's Alvira and Alana Lyandron shows up and like plays with her fringe more than she actually teaches and asks a bunch of questions about Rand, Matt, and Perrin. And Egwene is dreaming of Rand and she's worried about this. She's upset about it. She does not feel as though this is a normal dream. And so she goes to look for Moraine and finds out Moraine is gone. She has left. Her and Lan have left. Varen has left. Lyandron has left. And Varen has actually left her warder behind. So poor Thomas is, as Anias says, chewing his nails and worry for her. So WTF, guys, what's happening? So Egwene is like, well, Anaya, you seem really kind. Rand's in trouble. I'm dreaming these dreams, and there are all these things in it, and I think it's important, and I don't really know why. And Anaya is like, well, that's something that no one may have considered. Perhaps you are a dreamer. And she implies that there can be training for a queen for this once they reach the tower. Everyone gets bundled off onto the boats, and they begin to start their journey south towards Tarvalin. And I think that's pretty much where that chapter wraps up. Hello friends, it's time for a new ad. There's so much happening in the Wheel of Time world and we have opportunities for you to help us continue to create quality Wheel of Time content. If you would like to help, rate us wherever you listen. This helps other people find the podcast. You can also join us on YouTube and subscribe to the channel. Help create the show by joining us on Patreon. We have four different tiers with perks ranging from shoutouts to bonus content to merch not found in our Threadless store. Speaking of the Threadless shop, it's absolutely bursting with beautiful Wheel of Time designs and various items to put them on. Need a Wolf Brother t-shirt? It's there. A First Sister pin to send to your bestie? We've got them. How about a White Tower Dropout sweatshirt? You know Amber made one. The point is, we love the Wheel of Time. You love the Wheel of Time. Go get some merch that shows it. You can find links for Patreon and our Threadless shop in our show notes. One last thing. You guys are the best. Your support means the world to us. 
Thank you for being the amazing people, humans, sentient creatures that you are, and keeping us company on the road to Tarvalin. Leave taking! Glimmers of Boy, the pattern! <laughs> Things! You like it. I like it. Spoilers, by the way. Yay! Spoilers. Why do you think Farron left Tomas behind? I don't know. Tomas? I think he's I think he's in on it. Well, okay, yeah, because, I mean, if he really wanted to, wouldn't he be able to feel where she is? He would have a general direction. Yeah, yeah. So he would kind of know what she was doing. Like, I just can't imagine that Varen didn't tell Tomas that she was leaving, that what she was up to, considering... Maybe she wants a spy. Maybe she wants him to stick back Mm -hmm. and gather information on what's going on. Yeah. I mean, we talked about how, like, the warders don't have the same restrictions that the Aes mm-hmm. Sedai do. So Thomas can lie. He can say he has yeah. no idea what happened. And no one really has. Oh, I'm chewing my fingernails away. I'm, I'm so, so scared. Where did Varen go? <laughs> While inside, he's like, fools. You know? I don't know. I don't think Varen would leave him and not tell him I agree. any plans. I agree. Like, just what we find out about her and about his relationship later on, mm-hmm. it's really, I don't want to say it's like Andrew Pavara level because it isn't, but they have a different kind of connection than other Aes Sedai with their warders would have considering their dark friend but not wanting to be dark friend status you know Mm -hmm. like they share this bond in a different way i keep coming back to the word bond but it is so much what this is because you can you can feel that emotional it doesn't have to necessarily be a weave right yeah we have this moment with swan sanche in chapter nine where she says, a poor shot for a white cloak bowman or even a dark friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. And her eyes flickered up to touch Rand's if it was aimed at me. Mm-hmm. So she knows that it was aimed at Rand. Yep. And I love how she points the finger at the white cloaks for one, because I don't think there's any white cloaks in... Faldara. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't. Yeah. I think that would be too hostile of a place for them to be. Mm-hmm. The Aes Sedai are looked up to in the borderlands. Mm-hmm. So I think that they would be too chicken to try it. You know what, though? I don't know. Because doesn't she say that there was a white cloak assassin in Tarvalin? Yeah, but... Tarvalin is just different than the Borderlands. I feel like That's true. I mean, Tarvalin has a watch and everything. Like they have their own guard. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the differences between the Tarvalin guard and some of the most fearsome Shinaran soldiers mm-hmm. would be like a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Where the white cloaks hanging around Tarvalin, they're just posturing. Mm-hmm. Like we're here because they want to so dis disdain distrust trying to what's the right word here it's kind of like performative hanging out in tarvalin Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like there's not really anything they can do but it's just like they're just trying to sow some 
terrorism going on. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with the borderlands, I feel like if they actually step foot into the borderlands, we saw how Lord Agomar threw himself at the feet of Swan Sanche for just an arrow, like mm-hmm. nicking her arm. If someone, if a white cloak actually threatened any Aes Sedai or the Amarlin, I think within the area of Shinar, mm-hmm. they would kill them all. Yeah. Like they would ride out and just and we're done with be you. done with it. Yes. <laughs> the next thing is that Bear Lane has actually been mentioned in mm. the Bale Doman chapter because he thinks maybe they want me to get the first of my end. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, Bear Lane. She has now entered the chat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I love her character. She's full of interesting things. This Bear Lane. I'm so excited to get her growth, her interesting backstories. I don't know. I love her. Yeah. I think she's a great villainous character. And the more you get from her, I don't think she's such a villain. Yeah, I mean, I never thought of her as a villain, but I don't think she ever became a favorite of mine. I also kind of wonder if it's because of like when she was introduced and how she was introduced. I felt like I already had enough favorites and I didn't really like her starting out and she doesn't become decent until closer to the end of the book and at that point I'm like oh okay you're human that's cool like (laughs) I love that well it's the Mayan custom is totally different so all of the girls are freaking out that she's spending time with the men in their chambers Mm -hmm. you just don't do that it's uncouth how dare you and she's like chill like chill children and she's i mean very clearly trying to use her charm to get with any of the three boys she's trying to make alliances with all of this what she's got yeah (laughs) yeah and she's not she's not stupid no like it's not she's incredibly clever exactly it's not like she's using her body because she doesn't have any other option she's using it in a supplement supplement it's supplementing it it's that flashy (laughs) look at me don't pay attention until it's too late and i've got you kind of thing like like a magic trick look over here look over here look over here and not pay attention to my other hand Mm -hmm. what are you doing and too i just i I find sympathy in her plight because Mayan is such a small nation. Mm -hmm. She has to compete with all of these other bigger nations and she's just working as hard as she can with what she's got. And I love it. Like, I love how driven she is. That part I do really like about her. I also like it when she's working with Ruark later on. Like that was I love I love that the wise ones and all the Aiel adore her. They're like you're our new daughter now. Come with us. Like, she's great. She's wonderful. Laughing at what she says, mm-hmm. wanting to spend time with her and saying, we're going to find you a good man. Yeah. Like, they've adopted her into their culture a little a little bit. And I always just wondered where that came Me from. Too. Like, what was it about Bear Lane that the Aiel were like, 
that's my gal. Right. I always wondered the <laughs> I love same it, thing. Though. I'm like, what did you what did you do? Did you have no hesitancy about stepping into a sweat tent? Like Do you wonder if it's they just find her conniving, incredibly humorous, and they're just like entertained by her like she's just good people like watching her work that they're like this girl's got it like i think that's a they pro- have such I a peculiar such a sense of humor they do <laughs> they do those weird ideal but i love them i love them i do i do have to say with that particular situation though because i like the ideal so much it definitely made me look at Bear Lane twice. If they liked her, there had to be something more to her than what I had seen before. And it's weird how you can have that where you have such respect for another person or another group of people. Like if one of your friends vouches for somebody and they're like, he's a great guy. You'll love him. You're like, okay, okay. okay." Yeah. And I, I just think that that it almost helps to with that shift of thinking of her differently. I still don't like the way that she goes after Perrin. I think it's kind of sleazy, but she's looking out for things the best she can, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I also see I also see Perrin just being a complete utter doormat at that point where I'm like, dude, just stick up for yourself. Yeah. Like what what are you I know I know that he's got other things going on. He's heartbroken, trying to find Fail, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like all he would have had to do is just kind of stand up to her mm-hmm. and be like, put her in her place and say, like, stop it now. I'm gonna send you packing. Like you're out of here. Yeah. He could have done that, but I think that there's something about Perrin where it's like he just can't be mean to a girl. Yeah, and it just screws him over in this situation where it's like, come on, like you've got to grow out of this. Yeah. And I think. As much as people can't stand Fail, she was the one who got him to just quit treating women with kid gloves mm-hmm. and being slightly demeaning by doing mm-hmm. it. Perrin could have learned that on his own by dealing with Fail, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's sad. Like <laughs> it almost makes me a little bit disappointed with Perrin's character. I actually I actually like those chapters where Fayil is kidnapped. I love the whole Shido camp with Savannah. Mm. I loved more gays. Mm-hmm. I loved Fayil like taking control of the situation and trying her hardest. That scene where more gays is trying to channel just the just the tiniest bit, just the smallest amount to make this flag or cloth mm-hmm. kind of wave actually reminded me of this chapter because Nynaeve and Egwene are focusing so hard on just this minute little weave to create some tiny thing and they're so focused mm-hmm. and trying and meditating on it. And it actually made me think about Morgays and how exhausting that whole situation would have been. Mm-hmm. I mean, it feels like I'd have to reread that chapter, but I feel like Morgays was stuck in that thing for a day mm-hmm. just trying to focus. And by the point that they get rescued, they can barely stand mm-hmm. anymore. Just like, and she dang. is utterly exhausted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Fail too, had been 
coaxing her and building her up this entire time. Like, you've got this. You can do it. And it's just like this camaraderie between these women. It's so unsuspecting. Mm -hmm. This queen in hiding. This little shitster, Fail. Like, they have come together and they have just, like, given us a really cool, empowering chapter. And I don't know. Like, I, I like... I like stuff like that. I do too. What can I say? No, I like it. And that cheering on moment with Fail is one of the moments where I like her the most. Yeah, absolutely. She really touched my heart, Ben. Rolland, on the other hand. That was that rough. Was, I just, there were things about that chapter that made me feel really grossed out because she's got it's almost a little bit of like a Stockholm syndrome. Mm -hmm. Like he's the one who stole her. Mm -hmm. He kidnapped her. Mm -hmm. And then she starts having feelings for him and she's like fighting it. And then that scene where she has like her own personal funeral of one and burns something of his. Mm -hmm. Jeez. Like, I don't know if that was necessary to the story. Cause I just, I felt, I felt a way about it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There's just so much kidnapping and I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting. In some ways, it was tidier to kill him off than it would have been to leave oh. him alive. But it was still brutal and unexpected. And then for Fayil to just carry it on her own without telling Perrin about about it, I feel like that was the right thing to do. And at the same mm -hmm. time, I'm like, be honest. So it was a very conflicting situation. I think it was supposed to be. Right. I think that she didn't even know what she was feeling enough to be able to explain it to another human. Mm -hmm. It's something that you would share with a therapist and not with someone who is known to misjudge your I don't want to say feelings, but emotions, mm -hmm. because Perrin is notorious for misreading her. Yes. yes, he is. She could have been completely honest and said, this situation was wrong, but I still feel messed up about it. Mm -hmm. He could just sniff her and be like, she smells caring or something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, And then just misread the whole situation. So maybe it was best Fayil didn't say Anything. In that situation, I think yes, but eh, I don't know. You, you never know. <laughs> but we can move on what? to the hunt begins. Unless unless there is anything about Fayil Perrin. No. Fairlane. You know, people who aren't <laughs> even in this. Well, Fayil shows up in this book. And we have Fairlane showing up in name only in this book. Is that Fayil? Oh, no. Fayil shows next up book. next book. Next book. Sorry. I always... They all run together after a while somehow. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe it's the fact that there are 14 of them. They're just always running in general. <laughs> that actually was... The are running. That was something that I thought of in, in this chapter when Loyal is running with the horse. Like, he just seems so gleeful. He's so like, I love running. And Rand is like, ugh. Loyal, read the room. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else hates this 
just so mm-hmm. you know. That wasn't really one of the spoilers that I had, but the flapping curtains that Matt accuses Uno of seeing is, of course, Lanfear lurking around. And mm-hmm. I feel as though perhaps she's stalking Rand a little bit in this moment before introducing herself to him. Mm-hmm. Do you think she was like, I, I don't know if this was intentional for her to be seen or not. Like, I feel like Lanfear would be sneakier than that. So maybe she wants to be seen, but I don't know why she would want that. I'm she's also, just like a, she's like a cat playing with a mouse most of the time, you know? Well, that's, that's actually like one of the things that I'm curious about with this is, is she actually attracted to Rand? which would be weird. Is she attracted to him because he is walking around with the soul of her former lover inside his body? That was much more confusing to say out loud than Mm -hmm. I was expecting. And why, why does she still have this hang up on Luz Theron? Is this about power? I get a little stuck on Lanfear's character as much as I like her when it comes to her feeling as though she needs a compatible power partner. Does that make sense? I think she's curious about Rand. She wants to know if there's any loose Theron in there. Yeah. Because she wants to know. That's obvious. We learn later mm-hmm. on. She's kind of like poking him with a stick. Mm-hmm. Like, hey. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> I, I just... I mean, I would probably do the same thing if I were. It's like it's like stalking someone on social media in a way. Like, how do you behave? What do you do before you actually get to Lanfear know them? is a fan favorite mm-hmm. by men because she is, let's face it, the most beautiful woman alive. Apparently. And, you know, guys like that, I hear. I've heard um, that. <laughs> okay. But... There's something about her character where it does feel like this stereotypical, like, crazy ex-girlfriend that I don't love. Yes. And I think that because I don't like it, I've kind of flipped the narrative in my head to thinking that maybe Luz Theron wasn't really that great of a guy. I love that. I really do. I love that. It feels like maybe he just led her on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Like it really, it really feels like like he ditched her and then was like, "See ya," you know. Like he ghosted her, yeah, and she never got any like closure or whatever mm-hmm. she needed. And I mean, for for Lanfear, we know that a huge attraction for her is power, and so. I think for her, it was just really hard to step down to someone else in her in her mind. And I mean, for her, it wasn't even just like political power or social status. For me, it seems as though she was focused on the power they could wield. So Luce Theron Taliban was an incredibly powerful channeler. And who's the one? It's one of the Forsaken that comes right underneath him. Is it Samael, maybe? Or Not sure. 
Yeah. So, I mean, like, she couldn't bring herself. Someone comment. Tell us. (laughs) It's not like we talk about this every week. I struggle a little bit with Leanne Fear's character needing that male counterpart. There really doesn't come a point, I think, until close. You mean you struggle with her needing to need a male counterpart? Yes. Yeah, I okay. I think I, I would I think I would like her and possibly relate to her more if I felt as though she were really 100% confident in being a solo entity. And instead, it feels as though she's trying to- Maybe we'll get that in the show. Maybe Ooh. she won't be so mm. hung up on Rand, maybe it will be more of like a curiosity, like her just trying to see if Luz Theron is in there, maybe not so cat and mouse. Yeah. And I mean, she ages herself down when she exposes, like when she pulls him into whatever portal stone world it is that they go to, like she makes herself look close to his own How age. she did. Yeah. Or maybe she's trying to just like look like she did before she aged, mm. like recognize me. Like this is oh, who I interesting. Who you knew me as. I always saw it as like Rand would be more willing or feel more comfortable having feels for a woman his own age as opposed to like potentially being attracted to. It didn't to. stop him from looking at more gays well, that like was the other hottie. Thing. Yeah. Like <laughs> that actually popped into my mind as I was saying it. Is Rand like, has Rand's, no problem with thinking older women are good looking. He whistles and rubs his ear. <laughs> is that what it is when he sees pretty women? <laughs> That's a lose thing, yeah. 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 Anyway, I I like Leanne Fear to an extent. Again, she's one of those characters that for me is a bit muddled in how I feel. She is definitely my favorite mm-hmm. Forsaken, though, by far. Like, I don't know why. She just is. I may change my mind, though, as we go along. We'll see. These deep dives. I've got my favorite are Mogidian and probably Asmodian. Ooh. Okay. Is it because Asmodian loves music? He just seems like way more chill than the other Forsaken, like just lounging around playing some instruments. Like, yeah, the rest of them are so uptight. And Mogadian, I love her because she is the adversary for Nynaeve. Mm -hmm. And I love that they always end up like coming back to each other and they've got this. I think that Mogidian is probably the Forsaken that we spend the most time with as readers. Mm -hmm. So I can appreciate her character more. I don't like her. Like, she sucks. She's she's a Forsaken. But But I feel like... Yeah. And on top of that, at the end of the book, every single one of the Forsaken is... Right. Except for Mogidian. She is the only one who is able to survive. And the spider. I think, yeah, I think that there's something interesting about that. I call her the cockroach, not the spider, because it could be <laughs> a population decimating event. The whole world is nuked, and Mogidian would be like under a rock, like, hey. Hey, guys. <laughs> like, what's the radiation out like there? Is it just wait here for another 10,000 years? Is it safe to come out yet? (laughs) 
I, she can't be killed. I just, I love it. She I, really, like. I don't know why. No, I think there's a lot about McGideon to appreciate. Like, the fact that she is able to last to the end. Like, I think the other Forsaken really underestimate her and kind of put her down for her tendency to kind of, like, hang in the mm-hmm. back and watch as yes. things happen. <laughs> Maybe they should have been paying attention to how she played that game because as far as I'm concerned, I'm pretty sure she won. And I yeah, don't. She outlasted all of them. Yeah. Even Lanfear, who is, I feel like Lanfear is probably, I don't think that she's the smartest Forsaken. Oh, I don't. No. But there's something about Mogidian where everything feels thought out. Mm-hmm. And this is why she ends up getting in trouble with the other Forsaken mm-hmm. because they're like, she doesn't even do anything. Right. She just hangs around and does nothing. Yeah. Like, if I was a Forsaken, that's what I would be doing. Yep. Although I, Chillin'. I might do a Grendel style. Not so much with, like, the compulsion and everything, but, like, the <laughs> Well, yeah, like a castle and some. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd do it that way. <laughs> Just watch from back there. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I would do that. Um, the other, all the male Forsaken, I pretty much, they're interchangeable for me. Yes. Like, I forget half yes. of them. Like The only one that really stands out to me is Agnor. And it's because he is like the ultimate creep for all. Yes, for all of the. Th- <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's so gross. He's so no redeeming gross. qualities. None. Nothing. The worst. Terrible. And like the other, the other male forsaken all just feels so like I just hated the fact that Luz Theron was better than me. Mm-hmm. Like you guys are like carbon yeah. copies of each other. Uh, Demandred is the goofiest Forsaken. Like all I can, not he. Okay, for one, he goes by Bow the Wild, which is absolutely a stripper name. I can't see anything else in my head. He's wearing a leather vest with no shirt. Yes, him with like tight leather pants. Like, come at me, loose there and like chaps. Like, like yeah, yeah. For some reason, like this very like crocodile Dundee, like oh my god, outback <laughs> style leather. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why, but that's Bow the Wild for me. Yeah, maybe some like some gator boots or something. Yes. I don't know. I love this idea. He just stands around screaming for loose Theron, like a weirdo for hours. Right? Can you just? I'm just trying to picture it in my head, like him standing. In an open field somewhere, like Luz Theron, Luz Theron, There's and like, can you imagine if everybody is just him. like, yeah, and if everyone is just like, just like ignore this right. guy, like, it's fine, it's fine. We're gonna let him do his thing. Poor guy, right? Yeah. So Lanfear, poor Lanfear. When the flayed bodies of Ndeo and Chengu are found, it is thought that they must be the ones who opened the dog gate out Faldara, but was it? And so I did like just a little a little digging to kind of see what the internets had to say about this. I need to kind of mm-hmm. open this up a little bit further so I can read it. So so Intart kind of surprises everyone when they do the burial for Nadeo and Changu by actually doing this Shayanaran ceremony where he says, like, the light shelter you, or the light shine on you, the creator shelter you, the last of race of the mother welcome you home. And mm-hmm. 
he says that it's because they saved Lord Algamar at Tarwin's Gap. And this thing, I don't, I think this was like on Theoryland or sci-fi stack exchange. I don't really know what that means. But I thought this was interesting. Another reason, perhaps because it was him who freed Fade. And as we know, if we're on a reread, he has already begun to forsake the shadow again when the Dark Friends stole the horn and feels bad for Nadeo and Changu taking the blame. So he says the words. So there is this. I was just going to say maybe he's feeling a little guilty, sad about losing his Dark Friend buddies after he's the one who put put them in Fane's proximity Mm -hmm. yeah do you think that they were dark friends before fane like i think inktar mentions or uno mentions that they always were on guard together like even if they had to switch with someone else they did whatever they could so they could be together and so maybe they're what maybe they were romantic maybe they just really liked each other's company like that was my other thought as well is like perhaps they they were involved in a way that isn't being talked talked about about. yeah openly because robert jordan did say that there are queer characters that just aren't labeled in the books like they're there but he didn't like give them like neon sign like this is what we are they didn't need a label yeah perhaps romantic involvement and in that case it almost makes it even more tragic if like they were just trying to be together Fane's presence corrupted them they actually are captives of the dark friends the trollocs the madral like the people at the village Mm -hmm. and they have had this horrible death flaying performed on them while they were still alive and perhaps Engtar just like feels guilty that mm-hmm. you know he was part of this happening and then to, for him to say that they saved Lord Algamar at Tarwin's Gap while we know that Engtar is a dark friend we also know that Engtar is surprisingly loyal to Shyanar and surprisingly always ready to attack Trollocs and Murdral. So I still can't figure out what Ingtar's motivation was. So, okay, actually, I have something. I think it is for this particular chapter that I wanted to mention this. Yes. Okay, so Ingtar's moment of sadness in this chapter at the loss of the nations and people that used to be part of the borderlands and the ever threatening presence of the mm-hmm. blight there's there are two quotes here one of them is all faded away and what has not gone is fading so what had been there is gone what was or what is there now is uncertain and i i want to actually get to this quote that i have here okay so he says, so Ingtar is talking to Loyal, and he says, you say they failed, Builder. Yes, they failed. And what nation standing whole today will fail tomorrow? We are being swept away, humankind, swept away like flotsam on a flood. How long until there is nothing left but the borderlands? How long before we too go under and there is nothing left but Trollocs and Madral all the way to the Sea of Storms? And so he has this incredibly nihilistic point of view and wondering about how 
Ingtar behaves, I almost feel we get a glimpse into his psyche here. I think he's battling out of desperation. I think he is fearful that the world around them is crumbling and there is nothing he can do about it. So the best thing he can do is join the side that's going to destroy everything. And since that's going to happen, might as well hunt Trollocs and Merdral while you're at it. So I feel like he's really buried under the sensation of dread. And it isn't until he starts to feel hope that he turns towards the light, which is what makes... Well, seeing, seeing, you know, the heroes of the horn appear will probably do that to someone. Right? Yeah, good point. I'm sure everyone has some, like, nihilistic ideas in their head. Mm-hmm. But... I do. But he's... He knows that the horn is out mm-hmm. there. Like, not all is lost. But I that mean, might be part of the fear as well. It's like, right now... The horn is in the hands of dark friends. And because he helped. Right, 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 right. But he did he it. He did it. But now he's like, I feel as though this is becoming more and more of a conflict for him at this point. Like, we see where he gets to at the end. I almost feel like this is a crack, like the beginning of a cracking point for him, like the beginning of a recognition of how dark his thought process is. What do you think? Mm. Yeah, I was like, you have a face. (laughs) The horn is gone because of him, Mm -hmm. supposedly. Mm -hmm. Why didn't he just take the horn and run? Like if he was feeling so apathetic about losing the blight, like why didn't he just blow the horn himself, call down the heroes and be like, hey, Take fight for fight for me. What an interesting you know, thought. He had all of these tools here in front of him. I think there definitely is credence to the fact that maybe like he just was super nihilistic. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, he's really like thinking, oh, the heroes of the horn coming back. Wow. Rand, all of these things that I've seen in the portal stones, mm-hmm. all of these situations, I've changed my ways. He's over here. He's over there. Mm-hmm. What's he doing? Mm-hmm. And I like the twist, but I think we could have benefited from maybe a little bit more of a backstory. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's the same thing with Varen. Mm-hmm. Like some of these characters that I find so interesting I feel like we're robbed of the most interesting things about mm-hmm. them. Maybe that's, I'm just bitter. Like, <laughs> I want to know more. Well, I mean, can <laughs> you, you know imagine what, I mean? <laughs> what Angtar's path to becoming a dark friend must have been? Like, I, I don't assume it was an easy choice for him. No. That was one of the things that I think stood out to me because... I'm going to take a close look at Ingtar as we keep going. Maybe my feelings will change. Well, and that's kind of what I'm I'm trying to do. And that was one of the reasons mm-hmm. why this particular section stood out to me is that he's he's frustrated that these mm-hmm. cultures, these people, these places just don't even exist anymore. And Rand is like, I I have no idea what you're talking about. And he's like, don't you learn your history? Don't you know mm-hmm. what's happening? And Rand is like, I saw an old map. Yes, that made me laugh out loud. I was like, what a good defense, Rand. 
Yeah, there's something to say about watching the blight encroaching on your nation. Yeah. And becoming depressed or maybe apathetic or nihilistic to it. Mm -hmm. But when the horn of Valir drops in your friggin' lap, come on, guy, come on. That's all I'll say about that. I think that's a good place to move on from. (laughs) Okay. I like it. So the blink moment, this actually, I didn't know this until I looked this up. This is actually a trap set by Pod and Fane. And I have questions. So this is a test. I thought it could either be Fane or Lanfear. That's what I was thinking. Other. I I was mostly leaning towards Lanfear. And I feel as though she's actually the more believable of the two in this case. Like, what did Fane do? How did he do it? What power did he have that allowed him to create a time loop? And I'm assuming that the moment that we have where Rand is touching the void, that this is him channeling, and he says that he was tearing at something, moonbeams carved from stone. They crumbled at his touch, but he knew he had not touched anything. Exquisite. I actually really like that. Moonbeams carved like, from stone. Well, and too, it's, I feel like, slight Lanfear foreshadowing because of her chapter icon is the little... Moons, yep. the moonbeams. And we've caught and I'm two. Like, we've caught two glimpses of her. We know she's there. Yeah, like mm-hmm. we know she wants nothing more than to like mind fuck lose there and Telamon. If she can do that through Rand, she's going to. So this part, like I, I think it would have been more fun if it would have been Landfear. I think it would have made more sense. There's just so many. Is this just a theory? Like it's not for sure. I Do believe we get, it's like, actually confirmed. Confirmation. That it's yeah, I would have to double check. But if I remember when I was reading through it, it's a it's a confirmed theory. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sad that I don't remember that. Well, I like how she gets caught watching Rand mm-hmm. by Egwene in her dream, and then Lanfear just like snaps her out of it like bye you know what i mean like just cuts Egwene like right out Mm -hmm. so much fun but no what i was saying about this thinking about this mind trap or mind trap mind loop Mm -hmm. dream loop Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it this is the thing about the wheel of time that gets me so perplexed befuddled i don't know There's all the metaphysical wheel stuff. Mm -hmm. And then on top of it, there is the separate magic. Mm -hmm. So it could be either. So we've got, I feel like, four concrete magics magics in the books. The one power, Mm -hmm. the true power, Mm -hmm. whatever, Mordeth, Shadar Logoth, Mashadar, Arid Hall is... Mm -hmm. And then the old magic. So like foretellings, dreamers, like what Min does in foretellings, and then like wolf brothers. Mm -hmm. Then we have otherworldly magics, which I would say are the Finn or 
the Ogier. The Ogier, I don't really feel like it's a magic magic, but like everything that has to do with their settings has kind of this weird effect on people. So it's, I don't know if it's really an, a magic or just an effect. Mm-hmm. Like if it's like just like a drug being mm-hmm. produced, like a pollen or something, making people Ooh, I like love that chill. Idea. Like, you know what I mean? I want to live in a place we with don't a pollen know like that, <laughs> <laughs> right? So with this dream loop, Pot on Fane has all of this Arid Hall stuff going on with him. Mm-hmm. He was spit out by Mashadar. <laughs> That's or no, a, that was Machin Chin. That's such a funny right? image. I am the most vile thing that scours the ways. Oh my God, Pot and Fane. Well, it makes me think of like, like a predator, like like a, a little mammal, like a raccoon or something mm-hmm. going to eat like a caterpillar mm-hmm. or a bug, like take a bite, like, blah, blah. no, no, no. <laughs> I love it. So is it possible that it was Lanfear? She's the one who's the most adept at dreaming and stuff. Yeah. So like, it, I, I feel like this is more like something that fits her. Mm-hmm. And she's showing up yeah. in these chapters. Yeah, and I mean, Pot and Fane wasn't even there. How did he know? Right, what, so what would he be doing? How would he know where Rand was going to walk in? As opposed to Lanfear, who was actually there in the village and probably saw where Rand was going and would have been able to make something as he entered that space. Like, to me, the Pot and Fane thing just doesn't make sense, and I would have rather have been Lanfear. That's all. Agreed. Yeah, it's not, it's not a big deal, but, like, that blink moment feels fairly significant. Like, the use of dream and imagery is integral to everything about this series and for this to be an experience that rand is having while he's awake is particularly unsettling so Mm -hmm. i mean the other thing is could it have been a bubble of evil that would have been cooler it could be any of these magics yeah one power true power it just doesn't even really feel necessary like why did that have to happen rand's already like totally messed up and then you throw this in on top of it and it's like on repeat. Like that just, mm-hmm. it feels so mean. It's, I mean, that's exactly what it's intended to, to be. But it just feels that way too. Maybe Loyal was rubbing that portal stone a little <laughs> too often. Like, yeah. Because Loyal's like checking out that portal stone. Maybe the portal stone was like mm. defragging. Like, perhaps. Perhaps. And aren't portal stones otherworldly magic? I think so. Isn't that kind of what we determined from, like, whatever our Age of Legends or previous discussion was? Was that our sci-fi episode? Yeah, I don't remember what we determined portal stones were as far as, like, what magic they used. Because I know you have to use... Do you have to channel to use a portal stone? I'm moving on from this because I have no idea. I don't remember what episode. I don't remember what, if they're from a different world. I got nothing. Fine. I'm totally fine with that. What do you want to talk about next? The only thing that I had for the last one 
that I didn't like write out is the number of Black Aja that are mentioned and show up. So this is what I wrote down. I forgot Alviarin was there with Swan. Like, yep. How many of their are out there like four, all of them do they, they all go to Faldara? so we know landron's there alvieran's there varen's there so that's three and all three of them are also Aes Sedai who come to teach a queen and Nynaeve for channeling one of the things that i found interesting that i wanted to mention is last mm-hmm. week i had asked if landron was lazy writing and you said no, that we needed like an obvious baddie. And that's what, like early in the series. And that's what we have. Mm-hmm. And so this moment where Alvier and Landrin, Alana, Varen all come to teach Egwene and Nynaeve, Alvier is described as being like tough, but fair and encouraging. There is mm-hmm. nothing to make you think twice about her. You kind of just read past her Varen. like i know you had your hackles raised almost immediately with her for me she was just kind of this absent-minded but more clever than given credit for character so she threw me off too elida is one of the worst characters in the series yet not a dark friend and so i think what you said was right that we needed these obvious characters but we need them to be obvious in there. We needed a red flag. Yeah. We needed a red flag. Then, but then we also need characters that don't even set off our alarms that we totally forget about until all of a sudden they were bang right in your face. Mm-hmm. This is what's happening. So I wanted to say thank you for having that discussion <laughs> with me because it really made me think mm-hmm. when it got to that moment in the chapter and I'm reading over this and I'm like, oh, my God, Amber was so right. You're brilliant. She's the red, red flag. Like, (laughs) Yeah. And two, she's kind of our first experience with someone in the Red Aja who's not Elida. Mm -hmm. So every Red Aja person that we've met up until, you know, now has pretty much been awful. I mean, Elida's not terrible when we meet her Mm -hmm. in, in Eye of the World, but the more we get to know her, oof. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just it. It's like she doesn't start out in like an obvious way. She kind of like ramps up to it. But she snowballs, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. But like Andrew is just like we said, like she's she's almost one dimensional. She's very stereotypical. She is power mm-hmm. hungry, power driven. She is purely who she is. Yeah. I think that's really all I wanted to mention is that it's like. Oh, yeah. And then Sheriam is mentioned. She's the fourth Black Aja member mm-hmm, that's yeah. mentioned in this chapter that I caught. There might be more. We don't know. So, yeah, that is a lot. Four out of four. No, three out of 14 sisters that mm-hmm. are there are Black Aja. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> it just blows my mind. 
Thanks so much for joining us. We will continue to release new episodes every Wednesday. We would love if you would subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, and share us with your friends in the Wheel of Time community. Let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us. Send us things we may have missed. You can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes. And if you have the Anchor app, leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes. We also have a website where you can find links to our Discord channel, social media platforms, and merch shop. So until next week, thanks for joining us on the road to Tarvalin.